You're listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org. In just a moment, we're going to hear a scripture passage. It's from the book of Isaiah, and uh, The book of Isaiah is a bit of a grab bag when it comes to the theme and the content and what is discussed, but this particular passage that we're going to hear this morning is one of hope and one of encouragement. So let's take a listen. The scripture reading this morning is from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43, verses 1 and 2, 18 and 19. But now thus says the Lord, he who created you, O Jacob, He who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you. Don't remember the prior things. Don't ponder ancient history. Look, I'm doing a new thing. Now it sprouts up. Don't you recognize it? I'm making a way in the desert, paths in the wilderness. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Please join me in an attitude of prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. I want to start my sermon today with a video, and it's one that you may have seen before because it made the rounds on the internet not too long ago, and I've seen it before, but I love it every single time that I watch it, and I'm hoping you will too. Take a look. Look at yourself. Look in your eyes. You got to see it, okay? You got to feel it. You ready? You ready for school? Is it going to be a good day? A really good day? You're going to be positive? Say, I am strong. I am strong. Say, I am smart. I am smart. Say, I work hard. I work hard. I am beautiful. I am beautiful. I am respectful. I am respectful. Yeah. Say, I'm not better than anyone. I'm not better than anyone. Nobody's better than me. No one's better than me. I am amazing. I am amazing. I am great. I am great. What's your name? Aaliyah Austin. If you fall? I get back up. What are you? I'm blessed. Yes. Say thank you, God. Thank you, God. For making me. For making me. The greatest. The greatest. There's nobody. There's nobody. Better. Better. Than me. Than me. All right, give me five. Give me a kiss. Let's go. We all need that kind of encouragement, don't we? We all need that kind of reminder that we're worthy and we're loved, and we're good just as we are, and we're not alone. 
Our scripture today is from the book of Isaiah in the Hebrew Bible. Isaiah is known as one of the major prophets in what we sometimes call the Old Testament. And although it's technically a single book of the Bible, uh, most scholars divide it into at least two different parts. First Isaiah is chapter 1 through 39, and then second Isaiah, or sometimes what we call Deutero-Isaiah, is chapter 40 to 55, and then some people even add a third Isaiah on after that. What's important to know is that in Isaiah's time, Israel was divided into a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. This was long after the days of King David when, the Israel, when Israel was a single nation and the Hebrew people were all united. By this point, there was a north and there was a south. And Isaiah was a prophet in the north. And at the beginning of the book of Isaiah, there are references to kings and kingdom and power structures and neighboring armies, neighboring nations. And there are plenty of prophecies at the beginning of the book about what might happen to the people if they didn't return to God or re-examine the way that they were living. This first section of Isaiah called for the people to seek justice and fight oppression. And Isaiah spoke often of God's holiness as exemplified in the holiness of the temple of Jerusalem. So there were a lot of reminders in the first section of the book about, hey, we have some power here. We need to make sure that we're using it the right way. We need to be attentive to God and God's call. Now by the, second, by the time the second part of Isaiah was written, which is where our scripture is for today, the northern kingdom had fallen and the neighboring nation of Babylon had conquered Judah, the name of the northern kingdom. And many Jewish people had been deported to live in exile in Babylon. So it's a completely different context than the first half of the book. The temple, which Isaiah and so many others had loved and honored, had fallen. And during this time of exile, the Hebrew people, the Israelites, they were in despair. We get poetry like we find in Psalm 137 that asks the question, how can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? How can we keep going? How can we hold the faith when things seem so challenging and dire? And so then when we read in Isaiah chapter 43, that when we cross through the waters, God will be with us and the fires, they will not consume us. This was a matter of life and death for the Hebrew people. This was the kind of encouragement that fed their soul because they weren't sure what the future would hold for them. They were a people that had been removed from their land that were struggling to survive and to hold on to the things that they loved. Perhaps this passage was an attempt to remind one another of God's salvation in the past. There are definitely Exodus vibes as we read about passing through the waters. We think about the leadership of Moses leading the people through the Red Sea. We think about Joshua leading the people across the Jordan River. We think about Elijah and Elisha, as we talked about last week, guiding people across the water by the power of God. If you're in exile, you need reminders like that. You need encouragement like that to keep going. And so then a few verses later when the scripture says, don't remember the prior things, we know that it's not a message implying that we should literally forget everything from the past because we've just had this reminder invoking the power of Exodus, this reminder of God's salvation and God's faithfulness. 
a defining feature of the Exodus story, in addition to God's goodness and God's salvation, is that the people are stiff-necked. That's the phrase that keeps coming up over and over again. And every step of the way, they grieve the life that they've left behind. They grieve the life of slavery that they have been delivered from. And every step of the way, they say to one another, wouldn't it have been better if we had just died back in Egypt? God had to deliver them again and again and again for them to trust that God would fulfill God's promises. And perhaps that's what Isaiah is referring to by saying don't ponder ancient history. Don't look back to Egypt. Don't look back at the bad stuff. But clearly we are challenged to remember God's goodness and God's salvation. In the midst of this time of exile, we're presented with the verse we've read this morning. Look, I'm doing a new thing. It sprouts forth. Do you perceive it? Do you see it? I'm making a way in the desert. I'm making paths in the wilderness. Don't expect for it to be like the passage through the water. Don't expect it to be like what I've done before. This is something new. This is something different. This is something unique for you. To people living in a wilderness of exile, a path forward would have seemed extremely appealing. It's appealing to us when we come across a tough time, when we're in the midst of challenges. The message of Isaiah during exile, during this time when they were living in a foreign land, the larger narrative of all scripture, really, is that when things are difficult, God is with us. When it seems like we're in the wilderness, God provides a path. God is never finished with us because God is constantly creating. God is constantly doing new things in our world and in us. There's always a reason to look towards the future with hope. We know what it is to appeal to the past. Particularly as Americans, we know what it is to appeal to our history. In particular, this is a day, July 4th, Happy Independence Day, when we celebrate our history, we celebrate our heritage, we, we like to talk about the past and where we've been. Now, if I'm being honest, I get a little bit nervous celebrating America in a religious setting. I'm standing in a church now in front of a cross, and in part, I get nervous because I understand the gospel as being directed towards the hurting and the oppressed, and sometimes, as we say, the lost and the least and the left out. And it feels like very often our story as a nation is like that of the Babylonians. We're the ones who come in as the conquerors. And so it feels a little bit uncomfortable to me at times. America has been the one to force others into exile as the Babylonians did. I look back at our history and there's a handful of examples that immediately come to mind. As a nation, we relocated indigenous people over the course of generations, displacing them from their native lands. And then World War II, we placed people of Japanese descent in internment camps and in some cases uh, seized their belongings. As recently as the 1900s, white Americans placed Native American children in boarding schools 
where many students were forced to leave behind their native language and customs. And all of that sounds a lot like the Babylonians putting the Israelites into exile. One of our worship services at annual conference this year was hosted by the Green Sky, or yeah, Green Sky Hill United Methodist Church, one of the few Native American United Methodist churches that we have in Michigan. And you can check it out online, actually, on our conference webpage, 2021.michiganumc.org. It is one of the most powerful worship services that I've participated in as, annual, as far as annual conference goes, and it's um, entirely virtual. They've welcomed everyone into their space. The scripture for annual conference this year was Psalm 137, which is about the Babylonian exile. How can we sing the Lord's song in a foreign land? And the worship experience from this Native American congregation was extremely powerful, addressing pieces of our collective history as a nation, as well as the experiences that are unique to people belonging to First Nations and indigenous groups. We've certainly had some moments that we need to repent for as a nation. But our history is also complex and it's rich. And we've had some proud moments as Americans too. We've had some good moments. I used to live in Monroe County, which is a couple of miles from the River Raisin. That's how they, that's how they say it. It's not the Raisin River. Don't say the Raisin River. River Raisin. And you cannot live in Monroe County a few miles from the River Raisin without hearing about the battle of the River Raisin, or the Battle of Frenchtown is what it's sometimes called. It was the deadliest battle on Michigan soil during the War of 1812, and there were many casualties. It was a bloodbath. It was um, not a victory for the Americans. Some of you probably remember the War of 1812 was a battle between America and Great Britain, and there were some trade disputes, but also the British were seizing American ships and placing American citizens into service for Great Britain. And America suffered a number of crushing defeats during this war. And for a while, things looked fairly bleak during the War of 1812. And the summer of 1814, it got especially, especially bad. The British invaded Washington, D.C., and they burned the White House and the Library of Congress, and they started march marching north, and their next stop was going to be Baltimore. And the British began to bombard the fort near Baltimore, Fort McHenry. For more than 25 hours, the British Navy bombarded the American fort. But the fort, unlike the Capitol, unlike the Library of Congress, the White House, it stood firm. They couldn't take this fort. And early on the next morning, an oversized American flag was raised over Fort McHenry to replace the tattered flag that had flown throughout the course of the battle. This American flag coming out early in the morning was a sign of hope for the Americans and a reminder that they were not alone. Ultimately, the British troops withdrew, leaving it an American victory, and the fort stood. It was this powerful moment in this war that otherwise was seeming fairly bleak. It is fair to say that the War of 1812 is not the most talked about war during the entire course of American history. It's also fair to say that the Battle of Fort McHenry was not 
in fact, the most dramatic or the most deciding moment of this war. But it was a moment of hope. It was a reminder that those folks gathered around that fort were not by themselves. It was a sign of hope and encouragement to soldiers in a difficult time. It was a moment that offered people inspiration in a situation that seemed uncertain. And it was that brief moment of hope and expectation that Francis Scott Key captured in his now famous poem that has been set to music that we forever have commemorated in our national anthem. Perhaps it's not surprising then that our anthem is so meaningful to so many people. Collectively, we seek reminders that we are not by ourselves, we're not alone. We seek reminders that we are resilient, that we can make it through the day, that all is not lost, that there is a reason for hope. We seek those kind of reminders. The prophet Isaiah, preaching in a time of exile, reminds us we're not alone. God is with us in the wilderness. Just because it's difficult doesn't mean that God's not here. Even in the difficult moments, God is at work behind the scenes, creating, imagining, doing something new in us. Isaiah's purpose as a prophet was to remind people of God's presence. When things are going well, the words of Isaiah were calling people to use their power to help others. He reminded people to prioritize God. He called people to repent. He made them face the difficult things that were going on and said it's important to pursue that which is just and that which is holy. And I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are a lot of verses in Isaiah that uh, even today, it's tough to deal with. There's a lot of angry theology, a lot of the fist of God is ready to, to strike and that kind of thing. And that's not who I know God to be. It seems like Isaiah felt the need to strike some fear into the people, hoping that that would get people in line, that that would help people pursue the holy and pursue justice and pursue using their power in more healthy ways to help those on the margins. Isaiah is a highly contextual book and it's full, filled with a lot of historical references, in particular a lot of references to the unique nations that were at play at the time, the politics of the time. And then as things shifted and things got more challenging, like in the time of exile, Isaiah reminded the people that God was still in their midst. He lets go of the challenge a little bit because things are going so far off the rails. And he says, you know, redemption is possible. We're going to make it through this. Every valley will be raised up. Every mountain and hill will be made low. There is a path forward that is possible. God is doing new things in our midst and there's reasons to hope. Isaiah shifts his tone when the things get so challenging for the people. I think that's true of us, too. We need to be called to repent at times, and we need to be comforted at times. We all need reminders that we're not alone. We all need encouragement. We all need motivation. We all need signs of hope. And for the people in exile, Isaiah was one of those signs of hope. His words, just like the father in the video at the beginning of the sermon, 
helped set people in the right mindset, set them up to go forward into the world with confidence. We're surrounded by people who are desperate for encouragement, desperate to be reminded that they're loved, that there's a reason to hope. Part of our challenge as followers of Jesus and as those who value the words of Isaiah is to provide that reminder for one another. To remind each other, to remind ourselves that God's with us. That we're not alone in the wilderness. God is doing something new. Can we see it? We are loved unconditionally. Do we feel it? God's grace is overwhelming and abounding and at work in the world. Do we believe it? Can we see it? Are we willing to tell others about it? This is a day when many of us look to the American flag as a sign of hope. And I pray today that as we find hope in our flag, we may also remember to look to the cross. May we also remember to look to one another. May we be for one another that reminder of hope. May we intentionally reach out to one another today and say, you're not alone. God is with you. There is hope. There is a path forward. And I'm here with you. And God is with you. God's doing a new thing. Can you see it? May we go forward from this place ready to remind one another that we're in this together, and even if we're in the wilderness, God is there too. May it be so. Amen. You've been listening to the weekly sermon from Clarkston United Methodist Church in Michigan. We are a church dedicated to connecting people to people and people to God. To learn more, visit us at clarkstonumc.org.